Well, grab your Bible. We are in 2 Timothy. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's some under the seat, somewhere around you there. If you don't actually have a Bible, you can keep that one. It's our gift to you. 2 Timothy. The uh, series slide there tells a lot if, you, uh, if you've caught that in the last few weeks. It's the passing of a baton. And the Apostle Paul, in his last letter to the church, specifically to his beloved son, Timothy, the one who would take the mantle from his hand, the mantle of the gospel, and spreading the kingdom of Jesus Christ throughout the earth. Uh, Paul is going to hand that baton, so to speak, to Timothy. And by doing that, he's going to hand it down to us. And he's going to write this last of his letters from prison. Uh, Not a pretty place either. From the bottom of a dungeon. He would make it out of a dungeon only to lose his life in a worse way, frankly. But 2 Timothy is Paul's last will and testament, you could say. And we are in chapter 2, verse 14. Let me tell you what we've done here. In chapter 1, and to the point we've gotten here in chapter 2, Paul has challenged Timothy. But he's not only challenged Timothy, he's encouraged Timothy. He said, Timothy, you've got to take You've got to take this baton of the gospel from me and you've got to run with it. And Timothy, you're ready to do it. He starts the letter by saying, Timothy, here are all the reasons you're ready. And he compares himself to Timothy. And then he says to Timothy, but listen, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. He gives him some analogies so that he understands this Christian life, especially those who seek to be on the front lines. It's kind of like being a soldier. It's kind of also like being a a highly skilled, devoted, professional athlete. And then there's the hard work also that he compared to being a farmer. And so he said, Timothy, you can do it, but it's going to be hard. He said, if you look at my life, you're going to see that my life has not been a cakewalk. In fact, I'm writing you from, from a dungeon, and you know that. And everybody else, he says in chapter one, has cut and run. When the pressure was on and they started to get squeezed, we really saw what was in them and spiritually what wasn't in them. And and, and a lot of a lot of the people who had attached themselves to the popular Paul. When he wasn't so popular anymore and he was in prison, they cut and run. He says, you want to be like me. You want to stay the course, Timothy, no matter how hard it gets. You also want to be like this. This guy he mentions at the end of chapter one, did you see that? Onesiphorus, not mentioned anywhere else. He's faithful from beginning to end. Nothing special about Onesiphorus except for that he was faithful. When he was squeezed, we saw what was really in him. And it was a heart for God and the message of God. Last time when we were in Timothy, we saw this passage here in chapter 2, verse 8 through 13. And what he does is he says that Before I get into the specific conflicts that can arise in the church and in the body of Christ, he said, I want to give you one final encouragement. He starts by encouraging him. He tells him how hard it's going to be. He tells him it's like a soldier, an athlete and a farmer. And then he says, let me give you let me give you the encouragement that is in me. And you'll remember that Paul just bursts out in worship by the end of this. And then now he goes into this last section of chapter two And then the majority of chapter 3 are about one thing. If you count the number of verses there, you get a large chunk in this short letter about one thing. It's the specific conflicts that we'll have to deal with as the body of Christ. Namely, among ourselves. It gets a whole lot of press, church. 
We ought to pay attention to the proportion in Scripture of topics. When conflict gets this much press in this letter, it should tell us something. It's something we'll have to deal with. Part of the suffering that Paul said to Timothy you need to expect is that in the church, oddly enough, we're going to find specific areas of conflict. And he's going to spend the rest of chapter 2 and the majority of chapter 3 dealing through some of these conflicts. He's namely going to talk about uh, the error of false teaching. And people who come in, he's going to say like gangrene. Literally, the word could be translated cancer. And it eats away at the body. And he says, we have to deal with that. Well, um, this morning, I'm not, gonna, I'm not necessarily going to teach you this passage. I, I want to talk about the principle of the thing before we deal with the nuts and bolts of the thing. Because this morning, it may not be for us. It may not be for us here at Cornerstone uh, that we face a great amount of false teaching. We do, and it creeps in uh, more than you might realize. But the idea itself here, I think, needs some attention. Before we get bogged down in the specifics, I think just the the idea itself that gets so much press that the church will have to live in conflict, not just with conflict in the world, but conflict among itself needs to be dealt with. And maybe, maybe you're not debating theology here at Cornerstone. Maybe uh, theology sometimes is is just a cover for our own sinfulness, our own pain, our own hurt, our own lack of forgiveness, our own pride, our own selfishness, our uh, unwillingness to be flexible with other people in the body. Uh, Very often we attach some sort of theological issue to our bickering, our conflict, but it really has nothing to do with that. It has something to do with what's going on deeper inside of us, our own dealing with our own sin, maybe pains and hurts of our of our past, maybe the church we grew up in, maybe not growing up in church, maybe the way we were raised, maybe the way we weren't raised, maybe the kind of father we had or didn't have, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe there are, there are a number of things that create in us this, this conflictual spirit. Is conflictual a word, Craig? No? All right. It is now. We have a number of issues. Amen. We have our own stuff. And we bring it into the body. That's the simple truth. And it doesn't automatically just disappear when we come together. We've got to deal with it. And Paul knew that Timothy was going to have to deal with it in this church. And he knew that we were always going to have to deal with it. How do we get along together? Now, here's the reason why I pause without getting into the specific part of this text, because I don't want to get bogged down in the uh, theology that maybe they were having to deal with and the second coming and the return of Jesus and all that. Uh, Some of the specifics that he deals with here at the end of chapter two and then into chapter three about this. Who is this Janus and John Brace people? Uh, Before we get bogged down in some of that, perhaps let's just let's just stop and say uh, it is a very important principle for us to learn that. This whole game plan of God's that Paul seems to be passing on to Timothy and therefore the rest of us. This whole plan can get shut down right here. The first thing the Apostle Paul says as he goes into this section of his letter. Look at it. Verse 14. Remind them of these things. What things? Well, he just came off of the last passage we talked about. You remember what he said in our last section? 
It was, this, it was this section of encouragement. It was basically Paul saying, Timothy, here's why I do it. Here's what's bubbling up inside of me that causes me to go to the lengths that I would go to for this message, for this kingdom, for my king. It is specifically remind them of these things. What things? Verse 8, that Jesus is risen from the dead. He's alive and well. Not only that, verse 9, he can't be stopped. Even though they put me in prison, his word cannot be imprisoned. God's plan will not be thwarted. He will not be stopped. Paul says that's extremely motivating to my spirit. To the point where, verse 10, I'm able to endure all things for the sake of the chosen. Paul's life mission was given to those who were still in darkness that needed to be exposed to the light. He said, because God is alive and his message, his plan of redeeming the chosen of the world will not be stopped. I'll do anything and I'll suffer anything to be a part of God's game plan. Why? So that those also, just like he, Paul, and the rest of us who've seen the light, so to speak. He says, so that those also may obtain what was, what was granted them. It was already attained for them. But they've got to obtain it. And it's, it's my job to be that, that conduit into the world. He said, that's why I'll suffer all things. And then you remember what he does in 11, 12, and 13? He just breaks out in like this ancient hymn. And he just worships. And now before he goes into talking about the conflict that we'll face, coming off this passage of just his heart exploding in worship, he says, don't let him forget these things. The first key to dealing with conflict is not to forget the previous passage. That Jesus is alive and well and his plan will not be stopped. And we get to be part of that plan. He said, and that's worth giving it all for. So don't let him forget it. That word remind, in the Greek it's in this weird, continuous, all the time tense. It's not just remind him once, it's remind him over and over and over and over again. Look back to Jesus. He's alive. He is risen. His his plan from all of eternity. Remember chapter 1? This providential plan from all of eternity will not be stopped. We get to be part of that. And he bursts into worship and he says, don't forget this. That's key to dealing with the conflict. In other words, if we're going to live out this life together, as ugly as we are, if we're going to live it out together in this thing called the, the body of Christ, if we're going to survive among each other, then we've got to keep this big picture perspective that there is more at stake than just our own pride. There is more at stake than just our own right and wrong. There is more at stake than whatever the conflict is and whenever it is. There is a kingdom plan at stake. Remind them of that. That's the key to going into this thing. Um, here's the, here's the one point. If you have one point to remember this week, nothing can get us off track faster in the church than bickering among ourselves. And that this week is worth stopping and not dealing with the individual trees so that we, so that we recognize that forest, that dangerous forest church. Uh, I, um, I truly believe that God is has got Cornerstone Church in like this season of expansion, whatever you want to call it. I, I don't know what it is. It has really nothing to do with us. We're doing the same things we've been doing. We're doing the same things we've been doing. 
We've not tweaked anything and fixed anything and, and, and seemingly being blessed because of it. We're, we've been faithful to the same things from the beginning. We try and improve things when we can. But I sense that God is doing something. He, he's, he's got us in this season of expansion. But here's the, here's the warning. Here's the caveat, church. We can shut it down right here. We can, we can slam the brakes on everything God wants to do in this season at Cornerstone simply by turning on each other. And it really doesn't have to be anything big, does it? It doesn't have to be false teaching. It doesn't have to be, you know, this big rift on theology. It doesn't. And maybe we tag some theology onto it and then that's our excuse for elevating our own desires and our own selfishness over someone else and not being forgiving and not being flexible and not being uh, the one another that God is calling us to be in the body. But the warning for us this morning is that we can stop things right here. And wouldn't it be just like Satan to try and stick his beady little head in when God is trying to move his congregation in this positive direction that he comes in and something silly just erupts. And we get this now, this cancerous spreading gangrene among the body. And it kills everything that's going on. In Joshua, Joshua is leading the nation of Israel, into the promised land. And it says that the God of all the earth did some miracles among the nation. And the word spread about these miracles. The surrounding nations within the promised land began to hear about these miraculous things that the God of Israel was doing. It doesn't say that they heard about Israel's powerful army. It's a bunch of farmers. It's an agricultural people. They're they're not a military people. They're not mighty by any means. So the passages in Joshua don't say that the nations surrounding Israel in the promised land began to hear of how powerful Israel's army is. It says over and over and over that the, the nations began to hear this rumbling about how powerful Israel's God is. And about the miracles God was doing among the nation of Israel. And it says something interesting. Several times it says that the nation's hearts did something odd. Before the nation of Israel ever got to attack these specific foreign nations, it says that their hearts, long before Israel ever got to them, their hearts were what, Steve? Melted. Their hearts were melted over and over and over again. Gibeonites, they hear of how God is doing miraculous things. And they go and they try and strike up a deal with Israel and Joshua. After that, the southern kingdoms, like five nations, come together and say, if Gibeon gave in, we better form a coalition. Uh, In Jericho, before they ever started walking around the walls, the hearts of the people began to melt because of what God was doing. Their hearts were prepared For the conflict long before Israel was ever face to face with these foreign nations. Do you know what miracles are primarily used for? Miracles throughout Scripture, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, including the miracles of Jesus, they were were signs. 
Put it another way, they were proof of God's involvement in a thing, in a, in a nation, in an individual, in a, in a program, you may call it, in a season of what God was doing in all of eternity. They were marks, usually at the beginning of these, these time frames, where God would put his stamp of approval on a person or a system or a nation so that everyone around knew that God was with them. And the the goal was that the hearts of those who would see these things happening, their hearts would be melted. Instead of being hardened, their hearts would be melted so that when, when that individual came to them with the message of God, uh, they would be prepared ahead of time. Question, do you know what the miracle of the church is? The church, we have a miracle that we carry with us that is designed to melt the hearts of, of those in the land around us. Before we ever are face to face with those in the land, there is a miracle that we carry with us that is designed to be God's authentication on us as a people and as a, on us as individuals to say that God is with us and he affirms this thing and so that all the world would recognize that, that God is in this thing. You know what that miracle for the church is? Scripture says it's our love. Now, isn't that interesting? It's no great hocus-pocus magical thing that we do. It's actually something more difficult, probably. Scripture says it would be our love that marks us as His people for all to see so that the hearts of those in the land before us in the land that was promised to us as a harvest so that their hearts would be melted and prepared so that when we speak into their lives the truth of the gospel, the power of God has already gone before us. The power of God, the miracle in the church is our love for one another, our ability to overcome this conflict that Paul's going to unfold in the next couple chapters. Without the miracle, the hearts aren't melted Is it our love for them? It's a good question. Is the miracle of the church our love for the lost, our love for those who are in the promised land, so to speak? Is that is that the miracle? Well, certainly it is true that our love for them is miraculous. At some point, this community, I pray, should uh, should hear the name Cornerstone and say that Cornerstone. I just keep hearing of these crazy things that they're doing. These things that they're doing that, that really are not just cool, but they're, they're, they're important. They're awesome. They're, they're worthwhile. They're, they're needed. I mean, that, that cornerstone, I just, there's something about the things that they're doing that's really making a difference. It's really making an impact. I mean, that's my prayer. That's the response of this community. Uh, let me just show, throw something in right here. The church does not exist to entertain the community. Nothing inherently wrong with that. Entertaining the community? Nothing inherently wrong with that unless entertaining the community becomes a priority over our main priority. There are a whole lot of things we can do as a church. There are a few things that we have to do as a church. And when the things that we can do as a church push the things that we ought to do as a church to the side, well, then it becomes a problem. 
Here's the problem. Entertaining the community in whatever way doesn't make evident our love and it doesn't make evident God's love. Uh, I'm not giving my life to being what I like to call a perk of the community. That's not, that's not what I'm in this for, guys. That's not why I signed up. That's not why I signed my family up. We're not going through all that we go through to get this church on solid foundational ground so that we can merely be a perk to this community. But I will give my life to be a blessing, a real blessing that melts the hearts of this community. Uh, This is why we started our pancake ministry, feeding people every Saturday. This is why we're starting the community garden so that we can melt hearts when we, when we give the produce away. This is why we, uh, we want to build what we're calling the Hope House, so that we can house people here on our property who, who are in need of emergency housing, transitional housing. Uh, this is why we're doing the Hope event on Easter weekend. We're bringing speakers in whose lives have been one adversity after another adversity so that we can speak hope into the lives of this community. Uh, it's not simply an, a perk that we look to provide to this community. Uh, I've never, I've never, I've been a part of some of these perk ministry things. We've done some of them. Uh, incidentally, our Halloween uh, program, uh, that the, the, one of the main ideas for that is, is to just provide in that season of the year something fun and safe for families in our community to do. We, we sensed that there was just a gap there. There wasn't really anything in our area for families to do. And so we thought, Let's do hay rides. Let's get some ponies in there. Let's let families have someplace fun and safe to go. We'll take them around on hay rides. Uh, we'll put a big tent up and we'll show uh, Florida whooping up on Georgia. And uh, we'll, we'll just have a good time. Okay? And that's fine. That's fine. But as a, as a leadership body, we, we said that's not going to be all we do. And that's not going to be primarily what we're going to do. Here's why. Because... In any of those perk events, I've never had anybody come up to me and say, wow, I'm just so blessed. This, this was just so meaningful. This was so needed in our community. Never. Last Halloween, we had thousands of people out there. You know, the best I got was, hey, this is pretty cool. This was real fun. Man, it was great. Thanks for doing this. And that's great. But we're going to spend our time melting hearts church how do we do that we do it by the power of god miraculously working itself out in the fact that this people can love each other despite how ugly we are anytime i tell people about the hope house the garden uh anytime i tell people about this hope event we're doing uh, anytime I go and I work pancakes on Saturday, uh, it never fails. It never fails. I get this strange look from people. And they kind of tilt their head to the side and, they, and, and they, they've said to me at pancakes, why, why do y'all do this? <laughs> it's strange. It's divine is what it is. It shouldn't be so odd that the church is involved in things like that, is it? But it is. And they look at us like we're crazy for giving away food. 
for spending our time on things like that. We're melting hearts. The kind of look I see in their eyes is, is that we've touched their heart. We've melted their heart. We've made room with the miracle of our love for the message of grace. The miracle of the church is our love. But let me ask you another question. What good is our supposed love for the community if we don't have love for one another? How basic Christianity 101 is that? But how much press does this passage get? Listen, we can do all these things to melt the hearts of those in our community. We can do it in right ways. We can do it in worthy causes. But what happens if they peek their head in here and we're back here stabbing each other? With our words, with our attitudes, etc. You know what? No matter how much we're doing out there, you know what they find? They find that we're frauds. We're frauds. We're what one author called uh, travel agents selling uh, tickets to some exotic land that we've never actually been to ourselves. Isn't that good? When it's, not, when it's not happening here in the body, you think our message out there will be relevant? Will be received? No. We'll be frauds. We can kill the whole program right here. We can shut it down just by how we deal with each other. Nothing hurts our cause worse than bickering among ourselves. Um, I told you earlier, I believe we're at some sort of season of God's blessing here. But let me be clear. Let's just boil this down. It doesn't matter what happened. It doesn't matter who is to blame. It doesn't matter what the cause was. It doesn't matter how big the rift is. It doesn't matter how long it's been going on. We, church body of Christ. We have to figure it out. Simple as that. I don't care what's going on. I don't care what issue you have with the guy sitting next to you or that you've separated yourself from all the way across the room. I don't care. The simple truth is we've got to figure it out. There is more at stake than very often we realize. You know what's at stake? He is risen. His plan cannot be stopped. There are a chosen people that God is calling to himself and that he's asked us to be a part of their redemption. And he's asked us to suffer whatever we need to suffer, just like Paul. To the point where we'll we'll break out into worship, just like Paul. We'll give our full life over to it. That's the big picture. So no matter what's going on down here, we got to fix it. In fact, I believe uh, it's probably a greater miracle that we love one another than that we love the world out there, isn't it? Think about it. Sometimes loving the lost is easier because we aren't as close or connected. But very often, loving the ones closest to us is the real challenge, isn't it? Why? Because up close you see every flaw, don't you? Up close, that spiritual B.O. is strong. Sometimes it's easier to love at a distance. 
You've heard the old adage, to live above with saints we love. Ah, one day that will be glory. But to live below with saints we know, well, that's a different story. Our biggest problem is us, isn't it? I told you before about the dance of the porcupines. You guys ever heard of the dance of the porcupines? You know porcupines could dance, Jackson? No, they do. Not on purpose, though. The dance of the porcupines, when it gets real cold, porcupines get cold. And what they do is they want to huddle for warmth. Now, can you imagine two or three porcupines trying to get close and get warm together? It can get kind of prickly, can it? Yeah, it gets prickly. And that's a good picture of what happens in the church. We need each other. God's called us to be close and connected. But all too often what happens is the closer we get, the harder those sticks and pricks are, aren't they? Romans 14 deals with an idea similar to this. That Paul would say to the Romans, we can't let anything get in the way, guys. We can't let anything get in the way. We can't afford the loss. Whatever's going on, whether you've got differences in your beliefs about what kind of food you can eat, what kind of holidays you celebrate, Romans 14, any of that stuff, we've got to deal with it. We can't afford it. Not in the body of Christ. We're part of God's Greater plan. We've got to deal with those smaller issues. At the end of 14 in verse 20, he says something very interesting. He says, don't tear down the work of God for the sake of food. Now, here's what we need to understand, church. That when we let conflict arise and fester and, and we don't deal with it, it's going to happen. It's not that it's not going to happen in the church. We should actually expect it to happen. It's what we do with it when it happens. He says, if we, if we don't deal with it, In effect, what we're doing is tearing down the work of God. Because if we've got cancer spreading in here, if we're sticking each other in here, it doesn't matter. We could do a thousand great things out there. But our power is lost. The miracle to melt the heart is lost. The miracle of the church is that we can love one another despite all of our differences. Black, red, white, green... Rich, poor, from this side of the tracks, that side of the tracks, from this worship background, from that worship background, no matter what it is. If you're called the cornerstone, we've got to figure it out. And if you find yourself crossed with somebody, you've got to figure it out. You've got to figure it out. And if you've just got to give up and wave the white flag, you've got to give up and wave the white flag. If you've just got to, if you've just got to be the one who was offended, but you've got to be the one that, that walks across the room. And makes it right, even though you feel like you were the one offended, then it's worth it. Why? Because we're part of this bigger thing that God is doing. And we can't afford to lose ground based on you being right or them being right. Or you being offended or them being offended. There's, there's something too big going on. You ever been in the home of uh, somebody else and um, you're having a good time and all of a sudden um, mom lashes out at one of the kids or even worse, um, mom and dad have some sort of conflict and then you're kind of sitting there and you're in the, you're in the room and, and you just feel terribly uncomfortable, don't you? I mean, you just kind of want to remove yourself and just politely dismiss yourself. I always kind of act like I didn't even hear what was going on and I just play it off because it's, I'm embarrassed just to be in the situation. I wonder if that's sometimes how the world feels 
when they're, when they're taking a look at the supposed body of Christ. And we've got one part of the body punching another part of the body. How embarrassing is that? That's not something we would expect they want to stick around for, is it? Nothing will shut down the plan of God more than us not being able to deal with each other. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your, your word. And uh, even though we, we stopped short of dealing with the, uh, the specifics of the passage this morning, it's enough just to sit and absorb and be reminded that while there's nothing that, uh, while there's nothing that can imprison the word of God, as Paul's just told us, uh, we can sure slow down the program. And Lord, uh, I, uh, I would hate for you to take Cornerstone Church and put us on the shelf because we're, we're unusable. Lord, I would hate for you to have to go to another because we're not ready. Lord, I sense that, uh, that you are moving us in a, in a direction to expand your kingdom. And I'm so excited. And I'm so uh, proud. My family is so proud just to be a part of this ministry. What a wonderful foundation you've laid in this place. Lord, it's so exciting, as Ricky said earlier, just to see a family, a true family coming together, but, but warning to us providentially through, through this passage, warning to us, Lord, that family can sometimes implode. And sometimes it's hardest to love those closest to us. Lord, give us correct perspective. Give us the big picture that reminds us that we're a part of something greater than just our own little world. Lord, we long to be used by you. As a church, as a congregation in this community, we long to be used that, the, that this community would, would hear the name Cornerstone and their hearts would be melted by the expressions of love we have for them, but also by the, by the obvious love we've shown for one another, even though we're different, even though we're not the same, even though uh, we're, we're not always pretty, even though we come from all different walks of life. Lord, that is miraculous. That is divine. That is holy. That that you can move among a, a body, that you can move among a people and, and fit pieces together like you have in this tapestry that is cornerstone, that, that one patch is not like another, and yet you can still make something beautiful out of us. Lord, that is miraculous, and it is the miracle that you have granted to us as a body to display your glory among the world, that, that your stamp of approval is on us, that they will know we are who we say we are by the love we show. Lord, make our miracle evident to this world. That we might be able to stand for you. 
together. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you stand? We're going to sing one last song. You can think on these things. Ask God to, to find the, uh, the part of your heart that needs dealing with this morning. Uh, that, by the way, takes courage. The easy thing to do would be to stretch out right now, get loosened up, and uh, start thinking about the donut you're going to grab on the way out and uh, where you're going for lunch and what uh, the rest of the afternoon holds, what Monday holds, all that. That's the easy thing to do. Let me, let me encourage you. We've got about three minutes left. And this might be the most important part. It's the part where you are, you are courageous enough to look deep inside and say, okay, God, whatever you want to say, just say it. And I'll, number one, I'm listening. And number two, I, I'm willing to let you tweak anything in me that needs to be tweaked. And if I have to swallow pride, I'll swallow pride. If I've got to change something that I've not wanted to change for a long time, point it out, God, make it clear, and I'll do it. That, that's the point we're at. We're going to sing the song. You can just uh, follow along. You can stare at the ground. You can pray. You can go pray with somebody else. You can come take communion. You can come pray up here. We've got about three minutes. And we go back out. We leave the confines of Fort Cornerstone. And you go back out onto the battlefield. Boy, do we need each other. (laughs) And we need each other. All right. Let's sing.